10th of June, 2021, was astonishing. Our family woke up to this. We're Sydney people. It was a little bit of a shock. We walked outside at five to seven and just stood there in speechless shock, utterly amazed at what had happened overnight. And then we told everyone. We rang our family, we rang our friends in Sydney, we woke people up. We could not keep it quiet. Now, astonishment is still an experience that you can have in our highly experiential world. The word awesome, it's gone. Can't use it, means nothing anymore. The word outrage, everyone's outraged at everything, so that word's gone. But the word astonishment is still real. 2021, remember this? We were astonished when the Suez Canal stopped and you couldn't get stuff into Australia anymore. We were astonished when people stormed the US Capitol. The home of democracy was taken over for an hour or two. And you might have been astonished by Igor, the 73-year-old skateboarder on YouTube. You probably won't. Astonishment has three stages. You go to the stunned, silenced, share. You're amazed by what you see, completely shocked into silence, and then you share it with everyone. Now, last week, we read that Jesus announced the kingdom of God. And so today, we are so prepared for national and cosmic events. But as the passage was read, did you read, did you see where Jesus was? He's just like walking around Lake Canobolis with a bunch of blokes chatting about going on a trip. Like he's totally un, unnoticeable. But then as the passage was read and Jesus went to the synagogue and then he went to the home and then he went into the town, the astonishment just ratcheted up. It just went higher and higher and higher and higher. And people started saying, did you see that? Did you hear that? And then people just couldn't keep quiet. Their astonishment went to silence and then went to share and they were telling everybody. It was first century trending, right? Like this is like Jesus went viral in 24 hours. Like we started with nothing and suddenly townships are talking about him. And what we're doing tonight is we're journeying with Jesus for those couple of days. And we're going to meet the astonishing king. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to have an imaginary letter just to help us go there, to to make it less kind of just familiar. I've heard this story. So let me read it to you. James Bar Levi to his uncle Benjamin, dated 4 Nisan AD 30. Dear Uncle Ben, let me tell you what happened at synagogue last Saturday. As you know, I think synagogue is boring. The preacher is normally some dry, stuffy rabbi that normally starts like this. I want today to discourse about the Talmudic and the tyrannic teachings about Sabbath observance. In particular, the recent scroll by Rabbi Hillel titled Symbolic, Mythological and Eschatological Reflections on the Dietary Laws. On the one hand, Rabbi Hillel takes the position of blah, blah, blah. And on the other hand, Rabbi Ben Sharak takes the position of blah. 
And Uncle Ben, don't ask me how it finished because I'm always asleep. Honestly, I wish I never had to go. But last Saturday was different. There was a travelling preacher from the town in the hills. He'd not been to university. He was a carpenter. It was really strange they asked him to preach. But when he started, he had a quiet authority that was riveting. He did not talk about silly things. He talked about important questions. He did not quote boring old rabbis. He talked about heaven as if he'd been there. He talked about God as if he was his friend. And he said, if you want to know what God is like, then listen with your ears. I'm going to tell you, we'd never heard anything like it. This evening we're in Capernaum. Capernaum is a a significant lakeside town. And there was a Roman garrison and there was a, there was a Roman leader and there was about 10,000 Jewish people. And the synagogue that day, the Jewish synagogue, was full of humble people, fishermen, merchants, tradies, students. It wasn't white collar. It wasn't the elite. It was just normal people. And then that day, Jesus of Nazareth came to speak. Have a look at verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Now, the word authority there comes from the word out of the original stuff. It's the same word we get the word author from. And so the people that day, when they were listening to Jesus, it was like listening to the author, the author of the Bible. Listening to Jesus is like listening to God. He spoke with certainty. He spoke with power. His words were like a double-edged sword. They kind of got beneath your skin and, and made you think and feel. Astonishing authority. The people were struck silent, but one talked. Did you notice that? One talked. Uncle Ben, you would not believe what happened next. In the middle of his sermon, a madman stood up, started shouting, wild, strange shouting. What have you got to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? It was horrible, frightening. We wondered what the preacher would do. Mum leant over and said, it's a test of his authority. Did he have real authority to defeat evil in this man's life? And as we looked, Jesus turned to the man with a very strong look. It was the look of controlled anger and tremendous power. He did not touch him. He just spoke very sternly. Be quiet. Come out of him. And the man shook from head to toe like a leaf, shrieked, and after that became quiet and normal. This is one of the four exorcisms in the Gospel of Mark. And that's quite a lot, isn't it? 
And Mark, I think, has this repetition of these events where Jesus releases humans from the power of evil so that we realise that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, is not just over visible things. Visible, sickness, death, injustice, um, broken religious institutions, but also over the invisible world, Satan and evil. And Mark previewed this in his short account from Jesus' temptation. I didn't even mention it last week. It's so short. Two sentences. It doesn't even cover the actual temptation, whether Jesus succeeded or not. Because all Mark does with his temptation is preview that there's going to be a battle in Mark between Jesus and Satan. Actually, it's not a battle at all, is it? The devil can roar but they, he is always subject to God's king. It's an incredible scene in the synagogue. So beautifully read, wasn't it? Like a critter. If you've ever lifted up a rock and seen critters run away or opened up a plank under your house and they just run away from the light, when Jesus was there, evil recoiled. The unclean spirit spoke in the plural. Did you notice that? He spoke on behalf of all of the fraternity. Have you come to destroy us? And the Spirit uses Jesus' name. So in the first century, if you use someone's name, you were in control of them. It's like when teachers at school use your full name or your parents use your middle name, right? Like it's, it's kind of control. Well, that's what the demon's doing here. It's saying, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. But it's futile, isn't it? Because the unclean spirit is the only one in the synagogue who knows who Jesus is. The Holy One of God. The Holy, the Holy Spirit empowered King. There was no Ouija boards. There was no incarnations, no magic words, no rituals, no props. Just astonishing authority. A command that's just settled the matter. Jesus said, be muzzled. Dogs, you know where they get muzzled? That's the picture here. Jesus goes, you are muzzled, demon. You must not speak. You are not, I'm not going to have the world hear the truth from someone so evil. And secondly, come out. Immediately the spirit left him with a cry of ineffectual resistance. Jesus' words must be obeyed. It's beautiful, isn't it? This man who had been possessed stands up. He's whole. He's at peace. Look at verse 27. They were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Uncle Ben, we went home from Sabbath that day totally spent. Jesus, we saw, went home to his friend Simon's house. But then late in the afternoon, news was spreading through town that Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law. Yes, I know, Uncle Ben, you think it's not a favour to heal a mother-in-law. So as soon as the stars came out that night and the Sabbath finished, it was like the whole town poured out of their doors 
carrying their sick to Simon's house. We took Aunt Sally and Jesus healed her leg. We've been talking about it ever since. It's worth a few boring synagogues for a day like that. Love, James. Arriving for a Sabbath meal, Jesus and the mates, they find the cook is sick. And so, verse 31, Jesus went to her, took her by the hand and raised her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. In the privacy of this home, we witness the authority of Jesus again. He doesn't use words this time. He just leans down and he picks her up, helps her to stand up, and she's healed completely. It's astonishing. These miracles, these are matchless, and they reflect the matchless nature of the one doing them. Now, we're not sure how the news gets out, right, but that family had a leak. Because suddenly the whole town knew about this. And the moment the stars came in the sky and the Sabbath was done, the whole town came to the door. And and Mark says it was the sick and the demon-possessed. That distinction is never confused in Mark's Gospel because Jesus has authority over the visible, the sick, and the demon-possessed, the invisible. It's an incredible evening, isn't it? The demons muted. Blind people could see. The comatose talking again. Jesus uses an authoritative word or an authoritative touch and the rule of God came to bear in people's life. The kingdom of God was at hand. A picture of the end. No more sickness. No more sin. No more death. The old order of things gone. The onlookers were absolutely astonished by the authority of Jesus. Now, let's be honest. Why were they at the door? Because they wanted something from Jesus. And absolutely, they're a preview of people who only go to Jesus because Jesus might make them happy or healthy or wealthy. Okay? That kind of shallow very simple, not really Christian faith. That's, that's true. That, that's there here. But that's not Jesus' biggest problem here. It was popularity. It was popularity that compelled Jesus in the middle of the night to leave and go and pray. Because prayer enabled Jesus to listen to his father's voice above the noise of his friends and family and the city around him. Because Jesus knew his mission was to speak, to preach the kingdom of God, not heal. He needed to preach so people would repent and believe. And so that says Jesus was then, he went to a new area. He left popularity and went to a new area. Verse 39, he went into all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy is a dreadful disease. In the first century, it left people horribly, horribly disfigured. 
It's a numbing disease, which means your senses are numbed, which means you hurt yourself, burn yourself, cut yourself. So your body just takes the ravages of you making mistakes because your nerves are numb. And in the rules of Leviticus 13 and 14, they were implemented with gusto by the religious leaders, which means if you were a leper, you walked the streets in a rag and you had to walk and say, unclean, I'm unclean. And you were barred from the temple. You couldn't engage with God. Josephus, who was a historian in the first century and second century, he said lepers were treated as dead people. But news of Jesus from the shores of Capernaum had reached the isolated huts of the lepers. The huts where the lepers lived because they couldn't be with anyone else, the news got there and the lepers the hope started to grow. And one leper said, I'm in, I'm out of here. And he stood up and he ran to Jesus and broke all the rules. And he flew himself at, threw himself at Jesus' feet. Moved with compassion, verse 41, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. King Jesus does what no one else would do. He touches the leper. A touch that should have made Jesus unclean works in the opposite direction. Because with astonishing authority, the Holy One of God makes the leper clean. And if you were there, you would have seen the skin would have been healed, the nerves would have tingled again, and the sickness banished. Oh. But actually more than that, the leper became clean. Clean on the outside, but actually more importantly, clean on the inside. The leper could go to family dinner. The leper could go to church and worship God. Now, I think with respect for the Levitical laws and to send a cheeky message to the Pharisees in Jerusalem... Jesus sends him on an eight-day walk to Jerusalem to do the purification rites. And Jesus is very stern with him. It's, it's cranky Jesus. He looks him in the eyes and says, be silent. But it's very unlike the demon, isn't it? When Jesus says to the demon, be muzzled, the demon is quiet. But the leper is disobedient. He just tells everyone. He can't, keep, he can't shut up. He just tells everyone, this is who Jesus is. I've seen him. Look what he's done for me. He cannot. He's astonished, silent, tells everyone. But the problem is, is now the crowds are too big for Jesus. He can't even go into orange anymore. He's got to stay out on the paddocks and people go to him. This incredible healing is a reminder again of Jesus' authority over the visible world. Sickness. But I think it's also a display of Jesus' authority over sin. I'm not sure what you hear when I say sin. You probably think naughty. It's so much more than naughty. 
If you want to understand what sin is like, think leprosy. You see, when we as human beings disobey the God of this universe, it starts really small, like leprosy did. And then it has a slow progress as it infects. And then it destroys you. Sin destroys your friendships, destroys your hopes, destroys marriages, destroys life. Because when you reject the creator, it destroys you. And then it leaves you unclean. It leaves you separated from God. No one at church at 6.30 is sick with leprosy. Everyone at 6.30 is sick with sin. And only Jesus can make us clean by reaching out and touching us. 1 Peter chapter 2.24, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Just meditate on that at the moment. Every sin you've ever done travels up Jesus' arm and he wears it instead of you. And he bores it on a tree. We make the cross very nice. We make little metal things of it. It's a tree, a place of curse. And he bore it for you so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. You see, Jesus Christ, by who he is and what he's done, has the authority to forgive you of your sin. Every single time you've said no to God. And when Jesus forgives you, he frees you of its power. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then he frees you of its guilt and he frees you of its judgment. And then he brings you close to God and says, you're clean. 100% forgiven. And by falling at Jesus' feet like the leper and asking for help, you can be forgiven. And that forgiveness, it's beautiful. Never taken away, but it's even more powerful than that. It transforms you. See it there? We might live for righteousness. It changes you so you can live. Now, that's a big phrase, we might live for righteousness, but here's one example. To be a Christian who's been forgiven, means you will reach out and touch, comfort, care and love people like Jesus did. If you have no love for the lepers of Orange, the homeless, the poor, those sinful kids at school that you think, no chance they're going to heaven. I know what they've done. To not be able to reach out and touch them, that's what Jesus transforms us to do. He takes us and makes us clean so we can love like him. Dear James, it's Uncle Ben. Thanks so much for your letter. What would you write next? What would you write back to James? 
Oh, hey, James. Amazing. Emoji. Here's 17 emojis. Send me a selfie, James, with Jesus. Love one. Actually, I'll have an autograph. That's old school. Actually, just do an Insta story, right? Like, just show me all the pictures. It's kind of right, isn't it? It's like, that is amazing. Astonishing. But it also kind of misses the point. It's like talking about the colours of football jerseys and never talking about the football game. Now, that's maybe something you do. That's sad, right? But, uh, like, the jersey colours are important, but it's not the main thing. The fishermen, the tradies, the students, they met more than a miracle worker. They met the spirit-empowered servant king, and they heard him speak. The powerful words of the author... Words that control evil, words that reverse sickness, words that declare sin-sick people clean. I wonder if you read this passage with people at work tomorrow, what they'd say. A bunch of them would have mocking pity. Oh, simple people back 2,000 years ago. Oh, they were tricked, weren't they? Oh, they're naive, aren't they? Can't believe they believe in a God. We don't believe in God anymore. We don't need it. That was just naivety. Miracles? Demons? Come on. Objective truth? No way. See, modern society, my society, your society, we've progressed, haven't we? We now find our answers and our healing and our meaning and our ethics in ourselves. Some of you play Minecraft, you get to build your own world. You can go to university soon and you'll be able to invent your own truth. That's what they sell themselves on now, universities. And the moral life, what you're taught is good, is whatever makes you happy and whatever reduces your suffering. That's the 21st century worldview. The good life is whatever makes you happy and whatever reduces your suffering. You see, our world with all its words and noise has succumbed to the grand delusion that humans have astonishing authority. We try and create meaning with our jobs and our relationships. We create truth with our heads and we follow our hearts to fix our parenting or marriages, our broken relationships and guilt. You see, if you do life without Jesus' words, you're trying to build Ikea furniture without the instructions. And it's foolish. To do life without Jesus' words, to do your HSC without Jesus' words, to do a marriage without Jesus' words, to be a parent without Jesus' words, to date without Jesus' words, you are building your life like an Ikea furniture without the instructions. And you'll make a mess. When society and its individuals stand back, they realise that self-made truth, self-made people are empty of hope. Ask anyone who's found the last two years hard. How did follow their heart go? Make their own truth go. It doesn't work. 
Francis Schaeffer, he's a theologian, American. He wrote this 60 years ago, 60 years. The more consistently people live with the loss of truth, the more their lives will fall apart because their centre is not their whole, is not whole. You see, king human is a delusion. It was then and it is now. Tonight, 6.30, Jesus does not call you to be astonished and then leave him at an arm's length distance and go, wow, that's nice. Jesus calls you to listen to his words. He's the author of life. And look at his words. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What does that mean? It means to take off your crown, king human, and put it at the foot of Jesus and say, I trust you. Last week I challenged us to let King Jesus be in charge of every room of your life. Every room. That's what it means to say, I repent and believe. How's that gone this week? It's hard. How do you know if you're doing it? Well, you put Jesus in charge if you're listening to his words in every room of your life. So you do retirement with Jesus' words. You do your HSC with Jesus' words. You date, marry, friend, growth group, work, study, holiday with Jesus' words. Dear Ben, sorry, dear James, it's Ben here. Thanks for your letter. You may not realise this, but you've met the King Jesus. He's God's King. Listen to his words. Follow the King. Let's pray. Father God, it is incredible, astonishing to see the power of your kingdom in your son. Oh, how it would have been amazing to be there. We thank you that as they heard you speak, Jesus, they heard the author of life. Lord, we pray that we as your people would let your words speak into every room of our life. We pray that we would take our crowns off and let the king of astonishing authority be in charge. For we know that is for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.